Today's episode of The Watch is actually brought to you by another Ringer podcast. It's the Ringer University podcast. That's where you can find teed up hosts Mark Titus and Tate Frazier breaking down every game during March Madness. Subscribe to the Ringer University right now and let our college basketball experts be your buddies for the whole tournament. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan and I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, started out doing college shows, Calipari Flow, it's Andy Greenwell! Whoa, I don't think I deserve that intro today. I'm not even there with you. I know, but it's so I'm nice so to be back, to be reunited. It's nice to be back. I thank you for holding it down when I was on I was on leave. So many incredible leave. guest hosts. Shout out to Sean Fennessy, Allison Herman, yes. Jason Concepcion. Yeah, thank you for the state of Texas for taking you in, offering you sanctuary <laughs> yeah. and succor while you were while you were talking about what were you talking about? Cinema? Uh, trends in the movie industry. Boy, am I glad I missed that one. That really worked out. That's terrific. I think we did great. Um, um, yeah, well, we're we back. We some bonus pods, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, Andy is back. We well, Also, you know, that's a good point, Andy. You know, feel free to dig into our archives, because we have some really good pods in the last couple of weeks. Lena Dunham, Gareth David, Book Club, Zoo Station. So, you know, if you guys are looking for stuff to listen to uh, on the long drive home or on the long subway ride to nowhere, just just dial up some watch episodes. But I'm back, except I'm not back because I got I got kind of sick last night, so I'm just keeping keeping the germs contained here in my home home base. Word. But you know, I I, I, I feel Paltrow like this flow. is kind of I feel like this is. Have you seen my abs recently, Chris? I feel like this is this is bittersweet because we were actually going to do what I hoped would be the first of many, um, just like home front pods, right? Because you and I shared some 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 off mic time yesterday. Yeah. And we almost wrote a really kick-ass last chapter to our own personal book club when we drove down a very, very high Echo Park Hill with an unrestrained open gas canister in the trunk. You make it sound like, like it's Fury Road. We were just doing, like, an errand. <laughs> you have to understand that my, the level of excitement in my life right now, that was Fury Road. That was the black and white deluxe edition of Fury Road. <laughs> um, but, yeah, but, that, but that would have been a, a sad end of the podcast, as, as then, and then they blew up. But wouldn't that like low key be the greatest end to a podcast ever? Because for his look, podcasts are great. Our producer Zach Mack loves podcasts, and you know he also loves Zach Mack loves personal anecdotes to open up a podcast. He does, and he also wants us to watch The Expanse. Love you, Zach. (laughs) But my my point being, podcasts are an emergent art form, Chris. And but at the moment, they're kind of they're as long as a Drake album. You know what I mean? Like they just go on and on. So like if we just pieced out by exploding in a Subaru. That would be kind of memorable. It's true. You have a nice Subaru, though. Andy, today we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, Drake's new album, More Life, which came out Saturday night, because who cares about bloggers and their lives? Um, And then we're also going to talk about um, Amazon's pilot season. You know, every year they put up a few pilots and they ask for people to vote, um, although it's not a very scientific electoral process, uh, vote on whether or not they want those those shows, any of those shows to go to full full series orders. And we're going to talk about one specific one, um, the Marvel Mrs. Maisel? Maisel. Maisel. Yep. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, um, which uh, which we, we, we both liked quite a bit. But first, let's do a little bit of in and out because we haven't, we haven't done the news in a while. Bottom line, are you in or are you out? In or out of what? When you, when you open up the Washington Post, Greenwald, you know what they say. 
I, I do know, but I want you to say it in it, like in in extremely extremely Christian Bale Batman voice. <laughs> Penelope Cruz is going to be Donatella Versace. <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about democracy dying. <laughs> Same thing. Are Look, you in or out on Penelope thing. Cruz playing Donatella Versace for Ryan Murphy? I am so in that I basically live. I, I am basically a Cubano sandwich right now. I am so into that. I love it. I am deep, deep Miami Beach in this one. Um, but my bigger takeaway here is this: FX is not fucking around. No, now, we're going to get to that in a second. Put, yeah, you can put all the asterisks you want on that, right? Because, like, obviously, I, I I took a small paycheck from from that from that network when I worked on Legion, but those paychecks ended, and I still got to say, like, I I, I thought that. American Crime was 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 screwing up because they had that great first season with OJ and then they announced two subsequent seasons and they're sort of doing them at the same time. One is Katrina, which still seems like the worst idea in the world to me. But then they get Annette Benning for that and yeah. then they're doing Versace and they get Penelope Cruz for that. Here's my so thing every, about Ryan Murphy. TV. Here's my thing about Ryan Murphy. Okay. I, I don't particularly care for his work. <laughs> no, me either. But he is a master at feeding the streets with casting news. And Seriously. it's almost like you don't have to make the shows anymore. Like, why make the show? Why not just announce it? You know, I really support... I, you, you put me back on my heels a little bit, but I support this. Because, because it saves all it, of us time. There's too much TV yeah. anyway. So why not just have the fantasy football casting thing where you're like, who should play you know, Hillary Clinton or Brownie in, during Hurricane Katrina. And it's like, Matthew Broderick, damn, don't even make that show. Only The show can only get worse once you make it. Here's the thing. Like, one of the most entertaining aspects of internet, not even 2.0, like maybe one version 1.8, like the Windows 95 of the internet, like in 2001 or two, right? Yeah. The most interesting thing about that, one of the more, more interesting things about that was like the rise of fan culture sites, um, like Ain't It Cool News and, and places like that. And what those sites did, just full-time, full-stop, was just fantasy cast comic books and other pieces of pop culture ephemera. Right. And the, the underlying assumption under those exercises was that no one was ever going to make any of these movies. You know, these things were never going to happen. Like, this is still maybe the X-Men movie would come out, maybe Spider-Man, but still, nobody was going to be making an Inhumans TV show, which, by the way, they probably shouldn't. But anyway... <laughs> yeah. But doing those fun castings, that was fun. And you're right. Like, just then just walk away because you're excited. You can create it in your head and then it's not going to be terrible. Right? This is, I mean, like, look, I just think we've seen Black Mirror. We know that, like, soon we will just have, like, our synaptic impressions of things beamed into our brain. Like, we won't even have to do the thing. We won't have to experience anything. So why not just cast these things? Give us the serotonin hit of imagining Annette Benning or Penelope Cruz in these shows, and then skip the show. Yeah, I mean, look, if, if you told me that Penelope Cruz was playing Donatella Versace and Pedro Almodovar was directing, then I would be, think this is like the greatest thing in the world. But I, I, I have, I do have some doubts. But look, he pulled off OJ, right? Like that, we really like that show. So, okay, so we're both in I'm on in. this, but we're out on actually having to watch it. In or out, Andy? <laughs> Danny Boyle <laughs> yeah. is coming to television. He made uh, what was that cop show he made for the BBC? Babylon. Yeah, Pretty you like that? Show. Right. Starring starring your girl Brit Brit Marlin. That's your girl. You love Brit Marling. Um, he is going to be making a show, a 10-episode uh, show called Trust for FX, which is about the kidnapping of the Getty Oil heir, John Paul 
John Paul Getty III. And this is, yep. uh, you know, it's set in 1973. This guy gets ca- kidnapped um, when he's in Rome by the mafia, and they're looking for this ransom. And then there's, in you know, all sorts of stuff ensues. This is Boyle. Uh, he's just did Train Spotting 2, which we're going to try and get to this week, but I'm not sure if we're going to have time. Um, Boyle, and it's written by, interesting, so Boyle has worked with a couple of screenwriters multiple times over the course of his career. Mm-hmm. He did a couple of things with Alex Garland, I, I believe, yep. and he's done a couple of things with John Hodge, who did a lot of and, the... Uh, Andrew McDonald, who and, did Train Spotting and Shallow Grave. Right, isn't he the president, the the the, uh, the producer? No, I, I, I'm sorry to tell you this, Donald Trump is the president. <laughs> It's, 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 it, look, I'm still as surprised as you are, but try to hold it together. No, but John Hodge has written, uh, I think, Shallow Grave, Train Spotting, a couple of other things. You're right. Andrew McDonald was the producer. I was this is that. with Simon Beaufoy, who wrote, I would say, not my favorite Danny Boyle movies. He wrote Slumdog Millionaire and he wrote 127 Hours. But yeah. uh, I'm very excited about a 1973 kidnapping story, and I'm excited to see Danny Boyle working in television. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm in on this too. I mean, a couple, probably um, a year and a half ago, when OJ was on, we were talking about how the thing that 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 really separates John Landgraf, who's the head of FX, from a lot of the other network presidents, is that he senses the trends early and invests right. And and one of the things I remember he told me on the podcast I did with him, which is now years ago, four four plus years ago. Um, was that he thought miniseries were sort of a great market inefficiency, and he started to steer into miniseries, and obviously Fargo, and then some of the shows we're talking about were the result of that. Um, the thing that he seems to have identified um, also early was the idea of real life being the next great IP possibility, that um, people want to see things that they are familiar with. They want to see books, comic books, um, what have you, adapted. But no one owns the rights to the world, my man, right? So so going, so going, getting these filmmakers, these interesting filmmakers, and even though I'm not a fan of Ryan Murphy, I would call him an interesting filmmaker, and basically giving them the keys to these real-life uh, souped-up sports cars is a pretty cool idea. Um, I think it's going to start to um, pay fewer dividends mm-hmm. You know, the more we do this, especially because the types of stories that are being chosen um, – are kind of similar. I mean, they're definitely, there's a reason why they're choosing the raciest, um, the raciest. Yeah. The most headlines. ripped from the headlines, even if the headlines are 20, 30 years old. Yeah. Um, but, but it's interesting. And, and once again, the first thing that I said holds true, which is it's a miniseries. So you don't really feel that stressed out about it. You know, like it's, it, it's going to be an, it's going to be a glimpse of something and it could be fun. It could be cool. And then you're kind of out. So there isn't that, the, the, the pressure that you were alluding to when you were saying, I just want to read the casting announcement. It is lessened when you know it's a, when you know it's a miniseries, and I don't know if our listeners feel the same way. Like I, you and I have been talking during our break about how we are feeling a little overwhelmed just by the the volume of shows, and and I'm saying this as someone who doesn't even have to watch it all as a critic anymore, right? So the the trend towards the the limited series definitely makes us feel more positively going into it. I don't know if that's something that people share. Yeah, I think also just like the amount of television that's on right now, um, there is a little bit of a bias towards the new because. Uh, Especially even like Sean and I talked about this in Texas, but like the way that coverage works now is a lot of pre-hype, like, you know, there's the, mm-hmm. the, the hype cycle, but there's not as much like billions, episode four, season two, like my essay. It's like nobody's nobody's really rocking that. Um, I have two more bits of in or out news. So we're, we're in on Danny Boyle. Uh, it's exciting to see him t- doing this limited series. I have one uh, that's just a simple yes or no. It's a simple in or out, Andy. OK. OK. Yeah, totally. Matrix reboot. Out! 
<laughs> so far out. You have to understand how far out I am. There is a future rave happening around me with people with <laughs> in-out ports jutting out of their necks, and they're all wearing, like, brown caftan future clothes. Yeah. And they are all dropping space ecstasy. And I am dropping to the floor and ducking out of there looking for the wall that flips like in Atlanta. The only you reason I would want a Matrix reboot is if it's just a Vox explainer of the architect's speech. <laughs> Seriously. How about that? Here's the thing, guys, about the Matrix. In many ways, the Matrix presages everything, everything that we talk about when we talk about culture these days. And I don't even mean the content. What I mean is the first Matrix movie, I cannot overstate how fucking amazing that movie was to see in the theater and not be spoiled because there wasn't a culture really of hype around it yet. Right? I almost I think, jumped off a bridge after that movie because yes. I was like, I bet I could live. And then... After I saw the next two movies, I did jump off the bridge. <laughs> and luckily, my girl Britt Marling taught me how to fall safely. Yeah. Because those movies were so awful. And they were awful in a way that many sequels of, you know, uh, of, of, of bloated genre IP are bad, right? I mean, it, it just every wrong decision. Um, but seeing that movie, I remember The Matrix came out. And then I think it had been out for a week. And a friend of mine at college was just like, have you heard about this? And I had not heard about it. And he told me to see it. And it totally blew my mind. And let it be, man. I've been watching. I was actually watching some clips of the first one recently. That's great. It's great. And in a way, all contemporary movies, especially movies and TV shows that try to deal with the nature of our reality or whatever you want to call it, they're all remakes of The Matrix. They're all indebted to The Matrix. Yeah. Everyone's still trying to find a clever spin on what they did. Dude, just leave it alone, man. Do a Speed Racer reboot. It would be a lot more relevant. Um, I have one last in or out, and it's... The extent to which you and I are going to be in on this Mm -hmm. is almost like doesn't even require a response, but I'm going to allow you to have one anyway. This is according to The Hollywood Reporter. Wyatt Russell, from Everybody Wants Some, and one of our favorite Black Mirror episodes, Playtest, and Jovan Adepo from uh, Fences. He plays Denzel Washington's son in in Fences. You you may remember Jovan from The Leftovers season two as well. Oh, that's right. They have both signed Mm -hmm. on to co-headline a supernatural World War II thriller from Bad Robot. They will star as American paratroopers dropped into enemy territory, and as they approach their target, a Nazi-occupied village with a German radio tower, they realize they are part of something bigger than a simple military operation. Now, the reason why this is noteworthy is because there is some speculation that this is yet another Cloverfield movie. I think it's noteworthy, or noteworthy because Julius Avery, who directed a very underrated Ewan McGregor thriller called Son of a Gun a couple years ago, is directing this, and it's from a script from Billy Ray who wrote Captain Phillips, and Mark Smith, who did The Revenant. I am so hyped for this. This is so awesome. I love a supernatural World War II movie. Did you, were you a big fan of that video game Wolfenstein? Yeah! Yes! Were you really? Yeah, yes! I, I love that I can still learn things about you. Um, I'm totally in on this, and the reason I'm in on it, and I worry that I'm now treading onto territory that you and Sean marked out with police tape in Texas. This is this is this is venturing into future of movie stuff. Uh huh. But let's do this, right? <laughs> like let's let's make a thriving, essentially B movie culture where we take the best ideas and good people, and you know, make something for that first weekend bang, right? Sure. Basically, construct something to shock and charm and amuse people. And you could even say Get Out was like that too, right? Absolutely. And, and, and let's do it. Let's do that. Like, let's, let, let's reclaim that territory in a fun and exciting way. Um, because 
you know, it's it's a it's a premise, and you get great people doing the premise, and it's not that far fetched. I mean, in a way, you hear that and you see that cast. It sounds like TV, right? It sounds something that 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 would have a smaller budget or um, you know more micro targeted, but that's that's actually backward thinking. You know, people want the same experience from both mediums. Now they want to be shocked and surprised and entertained, and they want to see, they want to get peanut butter in their jelly, they want to get the World War II in their whatever. In their Cloverfield, yeah, in their Cloverfield. I think it's, I think it's great, and I think it's not only is it great, I think it's better. I think it's an antidote to the other direction movies are going in to chase that first weekend, which is not, you know, making a GoBots movie, which by the way they are. It's something that you were telling me about over the weekend, which is. Um, the rocks movie oh, about yeah. a skyscraper right <laughs> yes like i don't even i think there has to be a name for this but but and i'm sure there is internally but like you know a couple months ago there was a movie called fist fight it, these movies or, or the a couple months before that um office christmas party yeah right? the movies that are pure premise that you understand from the title it used to be you'd have to convey the movie in a poster now it's just the title and it doesn't even matter what it is and explain this rock movie to me again yeah so the rock broke this news on instagram right and he, this is this is the uh, this is his Instagram post. Grateful to share this big news. Universal Studios and Legendary Pictures have declared July thirteenth, two thousand eighteen, to be Skyscraper Weekend. Massive <laughs> scale of a movie we've been developing for almost two years, and we start shooting August in China. Our script, written and directed, I love how it's like an auteur movie, by Ross and Thurber, focuses on the world's largest skyscraper, M Dash. That's on fire. Yeah, there it is. There it is. <laughs> My character That's is a disabled U.S. war vet and former FBI hostage rescue team leader. Oh, my God. What's his name? Does it say his name? Doesn't I say. bet he has the, the fucking ballerest name ever. <laughs> I, I Seriously, I bet this dude's name is Rick Beefsteak. Like, I just, I want it to be, like, the most out there, a a plus plus American grade Chuck name. Research like, for this but, film has been a real education for me from meeting with the world's top skyscraper architects <laughs> to spending amazing time with our U.S. combat and disabled vets. Good wow. thing I'm not afraid of heights, but at 4,000 feet, it's a different story. Let's get to work. Hashtag China. Hashtag seven bucks prods. Hashtag Flynn pictures. Yeah. Co. I hope that's not Michael Flynn. Hashtag skyscraper. Look. He wins. Nobody knows how to work the culture in its present form like The Rock, yeah. right? I, I remember five years ago for Grandland, I wrote a piece about how The Rock's entire cinematic strategy was just basically just jumping on to pre-existing franchises and the sequels. And I wrote about this a little tongue-in-cheek, but like that's really what he did for three years, and it made him the biggest star in the world. That's really smart, you know? We, you could... Chris, if you were a particularly rapacious culture vulture, you could draw a line from what The Rock is doing with cinema and financial trends across the globe to what Drake does on More Life. What a great segue to go into More Life. But first, let's take a break for our sponsors. Just want to say thanks to Blue Apron. Incredible home cooking has never been more attainable thanks to Blue Apron. Because for less than $10 a meal, Blue Apron delivers easy-to-follow seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients, and they come right to your door. No more overspending at restaurants or high-end grocery stores. With Blue Apron, you can prepare delicious, memorable meals for yourself in under 40 minutes. Here's my favorite thing about Blue Apron. I would love to cook for myself more, but the process of going to the grocery store either once a week and getting everything you need for the week or going every day and picking out these portions of this thing... And then you leave the grocery store, and of course you forget something, and you gotta turn around and go back, or maybe you just scrap it and get a pizza, and you feel terrible about yourself. Blue Apron, it's just in the box, man. You just get 
a whole world of cooking in a little cardboard box and you have all the ingredients need exact proportions and you cook stuff that you never would be like oh today i'm gonna make pork chops of miso butter like who would say that i can't say that but with blue apron anything is possible not to mention blue apron is partnered with over 150 local farms fisheries and ranchers across the united states to ensure that all their ingredients are the highest quality and because blue apron ships the exact amount of ingredients required they are reducing food waste it's delicious quality food that you can feel good about this month gosh i my mouth is watering reading this salmon piccata with orzo and broccoli pork chops and miso butter with bok choy and marinated apple vegetable chili and baked sweet potatoes with crispy tortilla strips spicy shrimp coconut curry and cabbage and rice those are all meals that are available in march check out this week's menu get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash the watch you will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with blue apron so do not wait that's blueapron.com slash the watch blue apron a better way to cook Thanks to another one of our sponsors today, Fusion's The AV Club. Listen to this. Have you ever been on a website and thought, this seems good, but what if it were a TV show instead? Well, you're in luck. Since 1993, The AV Club has produced some of the best pop culture writing on the web. And now after 20 years of talking about TV, things are coming full circle for the folks at The AV Club. They are getting their own TV show. Hosted by longtime AV Club editor John Teddy, The AV Club show is a weekly deep dive that invites everyone, from fanatics to casual observers, to look closer and laugh more at every corner of pop culture from tv to movies to music to games and beyond so get your snack of choice turn on fusion tv and catch the av club hosted by john teddy thursdays at 9 eastern and be sure to visit fusion.net slash where to watch for details yeah so her bb's thing yeah yeah my side girl got a 5S with a screen crack. Still hit me back right away. Better not never hesitate. All right, now we're back talking a little bit about Drake with my Western Road flows. <laughs> um, Andy, more life drops Saturday night. And, you know, for most most of the time nowadays, I think this is always my relationship to, like, to albums, but I usually start from a place of not liking something and then slowly mm. get into it over the course of however many weeks or months as I listen to it. If I, if I, that's basically the story of our relationship, right there. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, more life was strangely different. I just like love this from Jump. I love how like expansive it is. I love how you know he, they, they're calling it a playlist, which is just like sure, whatever you guys want. Um, they're calling it a playlist. I guess that's to talk about how like some of it is just like they're just Sampha records and Skepta records on this album. And also yep. just like I think it sort of is supposed to speak to, you know, it just goes on and on. It doesn't necessarily have like an up and down album feel to it. Uh, I just like everything about this. I like the super corny, like soft songs. I like the like fake hard can't have everything songs. Like I'm so into this. I love Portland. I love the fake South London patois he's mm-hmm. going with on a couple of these tracks. It feels like a guy who's just had his ears open for a while. I know that we can get into like talk to discussions of cultural appropriation on the part of Drake, um, but this is just like a really fun record to me. What do you think? Let me say this: two things can be true at the same time, my friend. I know that's radical in the age in the age of of, of Twitter, but Drake has confirmed himself to be in unimaginable colossus of a cornball and a complete genius. He's a complete genius. Like, and I, I was half kidding when I was talking about the rock 
but not really. Because no one understands how the music industry works and how music listening works and how music fandom is engaged with better than Drake. If you look at his um, discography, which I think we're going to get into, he is always jumping from one thing to another, and he almost never makes the wrong jump. And he is at his best when he is at his most loose, when he is moving the most quickly. Um, if you give him too much time, and this is true of a lot of artists, actually, um, a musical artist, if you give him enough time to make a quote-unquote masterpiece, it will be heavier than a lead balloon, which is, which is what Views was. It is a complete, Views is a completely hermetically sealed um, bathysphere, basically. Yeah. And you can pull singles out of it, and you should, because there are great, great songs on there, um, Too Good, Controller, even One Dance. But the record itself is a complete and total drag to listen to. This is the opposite. And, it, and it's not just because he's embracing my favorite genre of music, which is Mario Kart Beach level core. <laughs> but, but he is also just ravenous and curious. And yes, you could say that he is just gobbling up people and sounds and ideas and cultures, but he's listening. Yeah. You know, and, and that is just exhilarating, especially in a time when we can just not have something and then all of a sudden on a Saturday night, have something you know the the other record i was listening to a lot last week was the new rick ross record and love rick ross it, it it's a very smart play for him for someone who used to be you know who had who briefly had the crown as the best rapper alive or the most interesting rapper alive and it's a very like buttoned up back to basics he's just you know just booming over well-chosen well-curated beats but it's already backwards looking you know he's basically saying like i'll go back to teflon don a little bit I don't know if anyone else, and, and that's basically been my feeling about hip hop, you know, in the last year or two years. And I, I know I'm no longer the most qualified person to make these comments, but every time I hear of an artist, like I see Shay tweeting about Cousin Stiz, I'm like, okay, I'm going to listen to Cousin Stiz. And I'm like, that's fine. It's fine. It's not, I'm not even saying it's bad, but it feels um, provincial, basically, as opposed to something like this, which is just completely eyes and ears open with its arms around the entire world. And is it throttling the things it finds in the world? Maybe, but at least he's going for it. Um, I, I happen to really enjoy, like, I think that there's like, there was some like at views, uh, there was like basically like the, the sat, like turtleneck Drake alone in the club or home from the club kind of got calcified. Like he got frozen in carbonite Yeah, and this just feels like a real melting of that whole persona. And even though like, there's still like a ton of corny shit on this, there's like fun stuff, even if it's unintentional fun stuff, like the line about like. My side girl has an iPhone 5S with a cracked screen. <laughs> crack screen. Like he's so yeah. good at details like that, even if they're ridiculous. And um, I don't know. I just really like enjoy. I think Drake is a very good collaborator, even if he's a vampiric one. And I just really enjoy listening to him experiment with all this stuff. And it is actually like, you know, as you are somebody who who is who's held it down. No one in America, more more than you, has held it down for UK Garage. You know, you. What were some of those <laughs> yeah. double CDs you used to spend like forty nine dollars oh on? God, I have. I think I have all five volumes of the double disc collection, Pure Garage. Like I, I loved candy ass UK R and B from the early two thousands. I yeah. love it. Yeah, I love it. And apparently Drake does too. And I do feel justified. Thank you for. Thank you for pointing that out. I do feel justified. <laughs> yeah, and so just like I mean, obviously this is more grime influenced uh, than 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 UK Garage, but it's part of a continuum. And I I enjoy I like the fact that he's such a uh, um, an open listener. You know, 
Robert Villa wrote this piece about Spoon uh, last week, and mm-hmm. in some, I was I've been thinking a lot about like some of the indie rock bands that he mentioned in there, and I was thinking a lot about even the like the Father John Misty record, um, and some of his interviews, which are very funny, but you know at the same time, like I feel like there's this weird need to talk about like the narrative uh, of indie rock, you know, because like there isn't one anymore. Yeah. So you try to kind of manufacture, not Rob wasn't doing this, but like you try to manufacture, like this is what they're trying to do with Father John Misty, where they're just like, now you're a controversial take artist because we don't really want to reckon with your music at all. Um, Mm -hmm. And really they shouldn't because Father John Misty, while his album is awesome, pretty much sounds like a Randy Newman record produced by Flaming Lips and Mercury Rev producers. You know, like it's, it's like a really nice uh, sound bath of like soft rock with like very very acerbic lyrics. I I love it, but I understand why it's not doesn't always feel like essential. You know, um, this Drake record and the way Drake kind of just dabbles, man. He 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 manages. You think about how long he's managed to make himself relevant. Yeah, it it it's it's pretty shocking. Um, but it's also really, I mean, I. Just to go back to like the the ears open, I, I I and you were talking about indie rock. I'm thinking about like what do people actually want? You know, I do feel like and 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 maybe we're partly to blame for this too, where the cultural conversation has outstripped any actual engagement with the music, certainly on a critical level. Um, and we were talking about this, and I thought Rob's piece was the best by far about it, about the new Spoon record, Hot Thoughts, which is a really really good, really worthwhile record that I'm spending a lot of time with and going to keep spending time with. None of the pieces about it gave more than like three sentences to the music. It was all about the new narrative, which is the correct one, which is that Spoon is you know the most consistent band of the last 15, 20 years, maybe the best rock band of the last 15, 20 years, and they don't make bad records, and they don't have a story, quote-unquote, beyond that. Yeah, right? here's Rob's but, line that he has is, how do you withstand the heat rays of ephemeral internet hype and survive when they're no longer warming you? How do you stay cool in all senses when your style of music is deemed no longer cool in any sense? And, you know, I really liked um, our old Grantland colleague Stephen Hyden's piece, too, that he wrote for Uproxx, where he's basically like, actually quantify this. Like, how many bands have made seven or eight consecutive great records? And it's shocking how few there are. Um, but let's also talk about what's valuable about music in an exciting, exhilarating, soul-expanding way, separate and apart from a narrative. And one thing that I kept thinking about was Vampire Weekend, a band that I love and admire a lot. And if you think about... Just the blizzard of hot takes, which I realize is is a little oxymoronic, but maybe because they were, you know, at least the spin cover story, I did proclaim them like the first internet band to break through. So maybe they really bore the brunt of it for the first time. But all that stuff about them, like appropriating African music or playing in sandboxes they weren't allowed to play in. But it's like, yo, at least they were listening. You know, there was a, there's a vibrancy and a, and a, um, appetite on those records that really isn't matched you know by a lot of their peers and because of that i think those records continue to exist and the the the, you know the thing that's most impressive about the musician as omnivore are the musicians who can skate across all kinds of barriers and still be true to themselves on some level you know um i think paul simon i think we talked about chance the rapper being like that and i think certainly on this drake is like that because it's still a drake record you know, he's still complaining about a lot of the same things. He's still drunk texting J-Lo. But he has found this this background that makes his thoughts feel less like proclamations in stone tablets and more like uh, 3 a.m. 3 a.m. texts, which is, I think, what they're supposed to be. You know, there's that moment in Passion Fruit, which is maybe the softest song of all time, and I, God, do I love it, that the first minute and a half, then, then a selector guy comes on and basically is like, fuck this, I got to rewind the record. Yeah. 
it feels alive. It feels manipulated. You're, you're a part of it. You know, there are these interludes. There are people sliding in and out of, of an overall experience, and you're just on this journey that is very, very... Um, it's, it's an entertaining journey to be on. It never goes too far in any one direction. And, and the other thing, to your point about, like, hating things at first and then loving them, think about how much we're going to love Blem in a month. I love Blem like right now. now. No, I know, but, like, that's going to... That's going to be on the radio, man, for a very, very, very long time, and I don't think it's going to get old for a while. Yeah, um, you ha- talked a little. We, we bit. have to say, we, don't we have to do because? because yeah, I was because going to say you, you were talking about Drake's re- like like long-standing relevance. I think we need to rank the Drake rap records really quick. I, I, I thought we should also because we didn't talk about the Expanse. I thought Zach really wants us to say that, that, that Kanye <laughs> songs played out on Glow. <laughs> I just want to say regarding Kanye on Glow, it's too soon. I, I, I can't. It's like it's like an X showing up in your facebook feed or something like i just i can't hear him right now I'm, it's still too raw sorry zach okay really quick Andy, drake rankings all right so you're ranking all his ascent well, we're gonna call them solar records even some are called mixtapes right? mm-hmm. but we're gonna to be fair if we were doing the covers that i like the most more life would be number one okay I, I i love the cover so much i look at it a lot um the number one drake record is take care probably the worst cover but the best Drake. Record. i agree with that i do Go back. I mean, when's the last time you listened to that record? You listen. Is that a record you go back to a lot? Uh, I don't really turn it on very often, but like, it doesn't really have any bad songs, and no, it has Underground it has no Kings, and it has uh, it it has Take Care. So, and it has it has the, the Kendrick track, the Buried Alive interlude that I listen to all the time. I mean, it, that, that record. It's also yeah. it's also the most successful Drake record because I think what he and his his dude Forty try to do every time, you know, is to create, like I said before, this like sealed perfect sonic um box and that one they they succeeded the songs are all over the place but it is completely consistent even when you have like jane seberry light on the first track you know it all makes sense what's your next one nothing was the same i i I think nothing was the same i i definitely underrated when it first came out but it it's a very good record it has it has paris morden music 2 on it it has um it has Wu Tang Forever. It has it's language. A very yeah, yeah. It's it is it is a very vibey record. Again, it, it starts it, its weakest moments. It trends towards the sort of like self pity that became the hallmark of later period Drake. But I still think it it, it in, a, in a weird way it feels concise compared to some of the other stuff on this. On I mean, if we're doing this as like a consensus, uh, which it sounds like we are, but I just want to make a really strong case for if you're reading this as number three. I know that I mean, frankly, like you know. Uh, Thank Me Later needs to have its like kind of its own little position there. But in terms of like re-listenability, I've definitely like re-listened if you're reading this a lot. I I think if you're reading this is great. It's my number five, but my number three, I don't even know if you have on your list. I have What a Time to Be Alive. Are you counting that? Uh, Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I have What a Time to Be Alive just because it's so exhilarating and punchy and again kind of concise and just it, it's pretty wild to be able to do that in the same year as if you're reading this and just be like i'm gonna take i'm gonna take the other hottest artist and basically just bend what he does into making it sound like something that i do okay it's pretty amazing do you have how far up is what, what do you have then is so that's three or four that's three i have more life at four but with a but with a bullet right. i feel like it's gonna grow on me because it, it it's worst moments still tickle the pleasure center do you consider so far gone in the in in this this list i do i have it near the i have it near the bottom though yeah i wasn't a big fan at first really 
I, I really I really care very much for uh, I'm going in Houston, Atlanta, Vegas, best I ever had, Uptown. Like those are really good songs. I, I think I'm going in as one of the best songs of the last ten years. I don't I do not want to be accused of otherwise, but I I I guess yeah, I, I, I think it's reflected. It's lower on my list because I was a I was a major skeptic when it came out. Okay. Um. I but I have more life at four with a bullet, and I have if you're reading this at five, and then I have thank me later, which kind of doesn't work in the way a lot of overhyped debuts don't work. I mean, a lot of it is a little uh, tinny sounding and like a little overly overly self important. But the thing to remember that I I have a hard time remembering sometimes. Is that this record has up all night and yes. miss me? Yes. Um, <laughs> and so basically, fuck most other records because of that. <laughs> I have views towards the bottom, but I'm I'm very interested in Sean Fennessy's views as good take, which is it's been percolating, and I, I don't oh know if God. we're quite debuting that take here on the podcast or breaking that story, but like there is some views revisionism out there. Look, I am. I am sympathetic to that. I no one loves to champion the underdog more than me, except Slate.com. And like you're talking to someone, you know, you know, my favorite record of all time is Tusk. And when Tusk came out, and people were banging rumors still, they must have just been like, "What? What the fuck?" Like, and I understand that um, because my appreciation of Tusk came with the benefit of you know, 25 years later, and so I could just sort of take my time with it and find the good things in it, separate and apart from the the mad rush to find another. Um, uh, don't stop on it, but we're still too close to views. I, I, it's just it was, it was what was it? Just last year, right? Or year? It, it, and it's it's turgid, man. And I think that also people are negative about it because it seemed to suggest an artist completely falling off into um, a self-important swole dude dancing in a turtleneck. I, I just thought that he wasn't coming back from that, and he made some pretty smart moves because what he generally does is make smart moves. Yeah. Um, okay, so I think that's it. Let's talk a little bit about this Amazon pilot season. Um, it's actually <laughs> for them. It was pretty much really one show to check for. I mean, they had uh, Oasis, which is a sci-fi show with um, with your boy Richard Madden. Your man Rob Stark. Yeah. And a show called Budding Prospects, which is about um, marijuana farming in 1983 yep. in San Francisco, which I, I didn't get sure. a chance to check out. But uh, the one that you were drawn to and that you uh, you told me to watch, and I always follow your directions, is The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel from Amy Sherman Palladino of Gilmore Girls and Bunheads fame. Um, Listen, Chris. I feel know, like I got to clear out for you, man. This is like Iverson Chris. waving off uh, George Lynch here. Chris, obviously from my love of Drake, you know how I feel about Jewish supernovas. And <laughs> this show is great. It's great. And I, I want to talk about it on two levels. I want to talk about it just as the show. And then I think we should also have a, a conversation about Amazon's pilot season and what it means for the shows that they put on there and the shows they're championing and blah, blah, blah. But just first and foremost, as a show, let me just let me just say that it is absolutely great. It is a total pleasure. It is so crisp and tight with the writing and the production design and the, the plotting. I watch I actually watch it twice and I can't watch I barely watch anything once. Um, Were you a Gilmore Girls fan or a, or a Bunheads well, fan? No, I'm, I'm coming to that. Oh, Not God. really. Uh, my wife wanted to watch it, and so I watched it again. And I was even more impressed by it the second time, just purely on a script level um, and a technical level. It's for people who don't know, so this show is basically, it's set in 1958, and um, the lead character, um, Midge Meisel, played by Rachel Brosnahan, who deep, 
deep Doug Stamperheads know as Rachel the Hooker that he's stashed in Virginia somewhere. <laughs> to all my cards heads, um, yeah. But she and uh, she plays a, a young Jewish housewife in 1958 who basically over the course of the pilot becomes a stand-up comedian. And it's lightly inspired by um, Joan Rivers and her real-life uh, experiences. And it's made by, as you said, the Gilmore Girls team. And I was not a fan. I, I admired the cleverness of what they did, but I often found it cloying. Like, the, you know, the, the rat-a-tat dialogue, how everything was clever, it just sort of turned me off. It works in this context. And I don't know whether it's a one-off because it was just an hour-long um, pilot or whether the, the, the setting is, is, is better suited to it. Um, I'm not really sure. Or the fact that the lead character is a comedian. So her reaction to things, much like if you watch Pete Holmes on Crashing, like the first emotional response to things is always going to be a deflection through comedy. So maybe it works. But I found this show dazzling. It, it's really fun. It's really entertaining. It is uh, not like anything else out there currently. I mean, it, you could sort of squint and say it, it's set in a Mad Men era and it's as obsessive about comedy as Crashing and as Showtime's upcoming um, I'm Dying Up Here. But it's its own thing, especially in terms of the, the, the type of woman's story that it's telling. And I'm going to wind up this, this sales pitch to you because I, I don't even know what you thought. I'm, I'm a little nervous to say that one of the great joys of television, especially watching a pilot that you had no expectations for, is when you do get to see a new star being born. And think about John Hamm in the Mad Men pilot. Think about um, Rami Malek in Mr. Robot. These are people who had been seen in things before, but you had no idea they could do that, and now you can't imagine them doing anything else. That's how I feel about Rachel Brosnahan on this show. The show doesn't work without her, and I just think she's spectacular. Um, I was really... A lot of Amy Sherman Palladino stuff feels very stagey in a, in a, in a, in a, in that, in a, in a charming way. But it's like they're very, um, like, you know, if you watch the Gilmore Girls reboot or, if we're, you know, the, the more recent Gilmore Girls episodes, or even to some extent Bunheads, which had these very, like, elaborate dance sequences, but, like, in terms of the domestic uh, staging was just, like, very much, like, two, three characters in a flat, you know, almost soundstage background. Mm-hmm. The show looks like it costs, like, 75 million dollars like it's so it's like really really rich in its production detail and that was what kind of jumped out at me i mean obviously there's like the pitter-patter dialogue and there's the um jewish family life stuff that's all very fascinating but like i was just like damn you guys like rebuilt gaslight you guys rebuilt like a 1950s office you rebuilt like a 1950s apartment building where you're, a couple is living two floors below their parents. It's amazing. I couldn't believe how much. I mean, Bezos has that coin, man. He, he, these guys got the dude who played the serious lawyer on Rectify to be Lenny Bruce. Yeah, they got Alex Borstein from Mad TV and from Getting On as a as a. I, I don't know how to describe her part. She's basically going to be Midge's manager. And she's terrific. Um, I was thinking about that, too, in terms of what Amazon did and does, right? Because they have a strange business model in that they're in competition with everyone for the projects and the scripts that are that are, that are out there. They want the biggest talent. They landed um, uh, Matthew Weiner for his next project um, after Mad Men. The Romanoffs, um, yeah. The Romanoffs, which is a very cool idea. It's an anthology series where the stories are unrelated, except the protagonists in each episode believe themselves to be the descendants of the Russian royal family. Um, very, very whiner, very highbrow. Um, but they also seem to understand that, you know, and, and they're killing it on the comedy side because Catastrophe and Fleabag are there. Um, 
but they also seem to understand that the best way maybe for them to cut through the clutter is to tell is to take very very specific uh stories that might not otherwise be told on networks and then give them the corporate card right i mean transparent in terms of its casting and its production values it, it, it has never looked anything short of amazing and part of that is of course because the, the woman who makes it is a filmmaker and so she knows what she's doing and she knew how to maximize everything and she knows the world but amy sherman palladino directed this pilot and it looks amazing and i i was really really excited by it in a way i haven't been in a while mainly because it doesn't do the things that so many other pilots have to do i mean obviously this is not designated survivor but there's nothing in this pitch that is just like mind blowing. It doesn't even make hay in its press materials about the Joan Rivers connection. It's not like they they optioned her life story or anything. If you if you read the the few pieces that have been out about the show, Amy Sherman Palladino was just in the Amazon office. I mean, she's working on more Gilmore Girls for Netflix. She was in the Amazon office, and I think she probably threw this out as something that had interested her, maybe. And they're like, yeah, do that one. So it's a passion project, but sometimes we reap the results when other people get to do their passion projects. It's a it, I, I I can't imagine it not going to series. And if you get so if you guys have a chance, it's always a little frustrating with these Amazon pilots. I know that like when Transparent, it was like the first episode and it had tons of people really like fall, like fall so hard in love with it, and then it was like a nine month wait or whatever it was for the for the series to but, come. But I would definitely check this out if you guys have uh, have a chance. And to their credit, like I think this is this may be apocryphal at this point, but I remember this to some degree being true that that you know it's their pilot season. You know they're going to let the people vote on what they they're going to make. I think Transparent had some of the lower ratings um, of audience reaction of that pilot crop, but they knew. I mean, I don't know how much they really listen to people on this. I think it's more of a stunt, and they know. And I think that they know how good this thing is. So I would be shocked if they're not already writing the season. Um, but hold on, wait before we go. I have one other thing I wanted to ask you about it. Um, shit. One brain idea. Amazon. This. Fuck. Was there anything else? I don't think so. Did you want to talk about? I mean, we didn't watch the other pilot, so. No, I think I just had a question about. It was definitely Zach. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I guess. Okay, I'll just wrap up by saying this. Yeah, I hope people check it out. I hope they like it. I realize it's specific because they your your mileage may vary as to how much you appreciate deli jokes in the middle of emotional breakdowns. Um, my tolerance for that is, is is extremely high. I just am thrilled to talk about this because you know we watch a lot of TV. We watch a lot of TV um, because we like it. We watch a lot of TV because we're interested in it. We watch a lot of TV because we feel like we should and we have to cover it. It was really nice to watch something that surprised me. I had no idea what I was about to see, and it was purely pleasurable. So I, 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 I love that being a trend more than you know ripping the headlines and casting Oscar winners. Absolutely. We'll be back on Thursday. Uh, we'll throw up a watch list to let you guys know what we're going to be talking about. It's great to have Andy back, um, and we'll talk to you soon. Good job, Bransky! Thanks again to Fusion TV's The AV Club for sponsoring today's watch episode. Pop culture is everywhere. According to non-existent studies, it's 83% of the things you consume, even more than oxygen. At the acclaimed pop culture website, The AV Club, it's all they ever want to talk about, and now they are coming to television. The AV Club, hosted by John Teddy, is a weekly deep dive that illuminates all the fun, strange corners of pop culture. The AV Club airs Thursdays at 9 p.m. Eastern on Fusion TV. Visit fusion.net slash where to watch for details.